are the steps to financial freedom. For many who get there, it's a matter of two things, saving to invest and starting a business. Today, we're gonna talk about how to invest, the basics of investing, and most importantly, how to get started. This is the Talk Talk Money podcast, where we talk about all things money in Malaysia, making it, keeping it, and growing it. Today, we have George here to talk about the fundamentals and the basics of investing and how to get started. Disclaimer, George and myself, Ben, we are not uh, financial planners or certified financial planners in any way, shape or form. So do consult a professional before you take action on any of the following advice. This is purely for entertainment purposes and for informational purposes. George, how are we doing? Good. Okay. So how are you? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. All right. Okay. So now all jokes aside. So today we're actually going to talk about something that is actually um, quite a important part of being able to achieve financial freedom. So investing is actually one good way that the normal man on the street or a typical Malaysian can actually get to that point. Now, so again, there's usually two ways that people make a lot of money. One is either they start a business or one is they actually do investing. So starting a business takes a lot of capital, takes a lot of energy, time, effort. So starting a business may not be as suitable for most of us. So I would say that investing is a good place to start. So there are three points here that I want to drive home today. That is that one, we're going to talk about how risky investing actually is. Second, we're going to talk about what are the types of investments that are available to us. And three, what are the recommendations that I can give for people who do passive style investing or active style investing? And I'll get to what do those two terms actually mean. So let's start with the first one. Um, I think you had a experience, Ben, that uh, actually you went to a seminar and I think you talked about investing with another person and someone chipped into the conversation. Uh, do you mind sharing that experience? Um, which particular experience exactly? The one where you went to a seminar about uh, finding your purpose, stuff like that. Something about riskiness, about investing. Oh, that one, that one. Okay, okay. So, um, so me and my friends, we were talking about investing. They were talking particularly about crypto investing um, because they were in the crypto space. And also, we were also talking about index funds because we read multiple books on um, Tony Robbins, etc. But when we mentioned that, there was another person that was listening in and she was like somewhere in her 40s and her 50s. And then when she heard investments, the very first thing she said to us was, investments, ah, isn't that very risky? Ah? Is it true that when it comes to investments, ah, you're supposed to only put the money that you're willing to lose? Yeah, so I think from there, right, we can say that majority of us actually feel that investing is a very risky uh, venture to take on. But here I'm going to break that myth into pieces. I'm going to tell you that Yes, investing is risky, but it can be not risky at the same time. Okay, so I mean, to be honest, 
anything in our lives are risky in the sense that there is some form of risk. Even when you invest in FD, believe it or not, there is risk involved in FD. There is the possibility that your FD actually loses its value. Even though that your FD might be insured by PIDM and stuff like that. But because the way FD works is that they actually invest in short debt instruments, short-term debt instruments. So maybe like uh, Bank Negara's uh, bills or maybe corporate debt, maybe short-term. So in, when they invest in things like this, they are low risk, but it's still risk. So you have to understand that. So investing is not whether it's risky, but whether it's high or low risk. So that's what I need you guys to understand. Investing is either high risk or low risk. There is no such thing as zero risk in life, okay? There's no such thing as zero risk. Now, so investing. There are certain investments that are actually high risk and there are low risk. Now, so I'm going to give you three ideas or in this sense, three points that actually determine the riskiness of a certain investment. Now, so the first thing I want to say is, what type of investment it is, okay? So this is pretty self-explanatory. So let's say stocks. So in the stock market, you can consider this as a high risk because the stocks or the prices of shares of a company actually fluctuate very greatly. So sometimes they might be inflated at very high prices or it might be deflated into very low prices. That's one thing. Or maybe you can consider gold and silver. These are also highly volatile um, types of investments. Or you can say this is the most volatile or the most high risk is cryptocurrency. These are still very fresh type of investments. They have not been through any bear market or any form of financial recession whatsoever. We do not know how it's actually going to behave when it goes through a bear market. So it's something that uh, I would recommend most of you to stay away from because it's still a very fresh kind of investment. So uh, that's one can, thing. If, if I can inject, actually many people uh, call it a speculation more than an investment at this point. So if you do proceed, proceed with caution. Um, there are, like for example, I think like Mark Cuban once did an interview with Vanity Fair. And then he says that uh, he calls these kind of things called, he calls it smart insurance. He said, you do not put more than 5% of your net worth into things, into vehicles such as this, because on the off chance that they are wrong or they go down, you only lose 5% of your net worth maximum. But on the off chance that they are right, you could get a lot above a lot of multiple in your return. So this is a very good example whereby you literally only put money that you're willing to lose. Like when you put when you park your money there, just expect it to just burn overnight. Okay, that's that's a good point. So speculation. So remember that. Anything that is speculative, you don't want to put too much of your money in there. Okay, so thank you for that. All right. So that's the first thing is the type. Now, second. Now, this one is very important. It's called time horizon. Now, um, there's a very good saying when it comes to timing is that they always say that it's not about market timing. It's about time in the market. So what they're actually saying is that there is no use trying to time the bottoms or the tops of a particular investment. Okay, so let's say maybe uh, shares of Apple, for example, or Microsoft. So what people always do is that they always say, buy low, sell high, buy low, sell high. So that way you make profits. So instead of trying to time the market, you only access how much time that you spent in the market. So if you actually refer to one of the great investors of our time, Warren Buffett, okay? So he practiced a thing called value investing, whereby he searched 
for value companies that are at a discounted price. It's like buying a Ferrari that only costs 100,000 ringgit. It's ridiculous. It's a very big discount. And of course, why not buy it, right? So that is basically what he does in the stock market. He buys good companies at a very cheap price. So one thing he always says is that never buy a company that you're not going to hold for at least five to 10 years. So we're talking about years here. We're not talking about days. We're not talking about weeks. We're talking about years. So his idea is that you want to hold something for a really long time because stocks will always fluctuate within that time. Okay. It's always going to fluctuate. But one thing about stocks is that it's always three steps forward, two steps back. So when the two step backs come, people always think that, oh my God, this, the, the stock is going to fall. So I'm going to like cash out on my holdings and all, or whatever it is. Like. So when you hold stocks for such a long time, you always actually uh, wipe out the downward fluctuation. So always three steps forward, two steps back. Always remember that. So remember, even though it's two steps back, in essence, the result is you're still going one step forward. So that's really how most investment works, the really good ones, like maybe stock markets or maybe the bonds market. So time horizon is also one thing that affects the risk. If you are investing or in a sense trading in minutes or seconds, like you just buy uh, shares or maybe you buy some bonds or whatever type of investment and you hold it for a day and you sell off, we call that trading. And that is a very short time horizon. And there's actually research that shows that the higher your trading frequency, the number of times that you trade, like buy and sell, the more number of times that you buy and sell, the lower your returns. Because not only you can't predict the direction of the price in a very short time span, you also incur a lot of fees and charges when you buy and sell in such a short time. Because buying and selling, you have to pay for brokerage fees and things like that. So that's time horizon. And the last one that determines the riskiness, and I think this is the most important, is your education. How well do you understand the investment? Remember, never invest in something that you don't understand. I mean, there is a great saying that they say that if you think that education is expensive, try ignorance. Ignorance is definitely going to be a hell lot more expensive compared to educating yourself about the investment. So that's why I want to uh, let you guys know about riskiness. So if you know how to pick a good investment, if you pick a good type, and if you hold the investment for long uh, periods of time, you don't do trading, you do investing, you hold it for longer periods of time, and you educate yourself very well about an investment, you actually learn to reduce your risk down to a very minimum value. So that is what you, so that is what determines your risk. Okay? So, so yeah, so that's what I want to talk about risk in investing. So risk in investing is something that you can control. Okay? It's not something that you can't control. It's something that you can control with the right things to do you can control so if first thing you want to do is educate okay please educate yourself about any investments that you want to enter that way you can learn to control or mitigate the risk of investing okay very good points so to recap you said like how to evaluate other investment is risky you said it's based on four things right you mentioned uh three things actually oh three things so 
uh, to recap for the audience uh, in case they, they lost it. So it's like the first one is? The type of investment. So different types hold different uh, fundamental risk. So stocks are riskier, bonds not as risky, or FD is like the most low risk. But all of these still have risk. Remember that. Okay. And the second one is time horizon. And the third one is the education of the investor. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. So these are three things. These are the main factors. Of course, there are a lot more other factors like currency risk, inflation risk, country risk, but those are not things that we want to focus on. We want to focus on the things that you are able to control yourself because currency risk, country risk, geopolitical risk, these are things that we can't control. It's out of our reach. So we only want to give you things that you can control. So these are the kinds of risks that you can control on your own. So, so that's it. So we've already put aside risk in investing. So now you understand that investing is not as risky as you think. It can be low risk if you know how to go about the investment. All right. So that is one thing. Now, the second point I want to discuss with you is what are the types of investments, okay? So now you know that investing uh, is not as risky as you think. So chances are you might be more compelled to enter investments. So here are some of the types of investments that you can actually enter. So first one is called stocks, or in other terms, people call it equity as well. So it's the same meaning. So when you buy a stock, essentially you're having a partial ownership of the company. So these companies, right, um, when they go public, they go through a process called IPO, initial public offering. So private companies like, for example, Uber or Grab, so these are companies that are not listed on the stock market. So let's say if they want to do so, they will have to go through IPO. So they will list their shares on the public stock market for investors to purchase. No, so you may think, why would companies want to do that? The most, uh, the most significant reason is to actually you know, get funding for the company. So they sell their shares, investors buy the shares, so they get, uh, in turn, some money to actually fund their business, okay, in that sense. So these investors, what they get is that they have ownership in the company, okay? So they have ownership in the company. So that is mainly the basic idea of stocks. So when you buy a stock, you're essentially owning a small portion of that company. Now, the second one is called bonds. Now, what are bonds? So bonds is basically debt, okay? It could be government debt, it could be corporate debt, or maybe municip municipal debt or whatever. So it's basically debt. So why it works is like this. Okay, let's say Ben owns a company, okay? It's called ben, uh, Ben's company. Okay, let's call it that. Now, so he can get funding through stocks, like how we discussed. He can go to an IPO, he lists his shares on the company, and then we buy, he gets funding. But another way we can do it is he can issue a thing called bonds. Now, bonds are basically a form of debt. What happens is that I buy these bonds, okay? Let's say these bonds are worth 100 ringgit. So I buy these bonds, okay? So he gets 100 ringgit. Now, what these bonds do is that they, he actually has to pay me money, okay? In a sense, I'm actually loaning him money. When I buy a bond, I'm loaning him money. So I loan him my 100 ringgit. Now, when you loan someone money, right, you have to expect two things. You have to expect your principal 
which is the 100 ringgit that you gave, and you have to expect interest, okay? So you're getting back principal and interest. That is basically what it means to buy a bond. So when you buy a bond, you're loaning money to the company. So they pay you interest rate along the way. And at the end of the period, because bonds do have maturities. So some bonds can go to one year, five years, even 10 years. So at the end of the period, when the bond matures, they pay you back the principal. But within the time span from zero to 10 years, they pay you interest. They pay you interest rate or in bond terms, they call it coupon rates. So they can say that one year, I'll pay you 6% of the principal. So in this sense, if I bought a bond, there's a hundred ringgit uh, value and it's a coupon rate of 6%. I pay him a hundred. So every year he has to pay me six ringgit until 10 years. And once it matures, he'll pay me back the hundred ringgit. Okay, so that is called bonds. So now, okay, so before I continue, uh, Ben, does this, is this easy to understand? Because I'm afraid that the audience may not understand what I'm saying. Um, it does sound a bit complex when you say about bonds. I guess the, the main question on people's heads is uh, how do you purchase them and is it really a good return? And, right, okay. And, we'll and get... What's the risk profile, yeah. Okay, we'll get to that after we finish discussing. All right, so stocks. Okay, so in a few words, uh, stocks is you buy ownership of a company. Bonds, you are buying their debt or you're loaning them money. Now, the last one that I want to talk about is called cash equivalents. Now, what are cash equivalents? So cash equivalents, you can actually consider your FD as a form of cash equivalent. So these are instruments that are very low risk profile, but they also don't give very good returns. So it's low risk, low return. So cash equivalents actually invest in short-term debt. Okay, Very short-term instruments, very short-term liquidity. So they may buy bonds, that is only three months long, okay? So the maturity is only three months. Or they may buy uh, other things like money market and stuff like that. So this, uh, the idea is that cash equivalent, they give you very low returns, but it's a very low risk. And it's also very liquid, means that you can assess the money in a very short time span, okay? Okay. Because the bonds, yeah, the debt is very short term. All right, so regarding your question about how do you buy these things? And what is the kinds of returns that you expect? And what's the risk profile? Now, when you go for stocks, it is a high risk one. But high risk comes with higher returns, okay? Possibly higher returns. So the way you buy stocks is you actually go to the stock market. So for Malaysia, it's Bursa, okay? So you actually go to Bursa, Malaysia to actually buy stocks there. So all you have to do is actually two process. You actually have to get a CDS account. This is called a central depository system account. So this CDS account is actually basically an account where you store your stocks. Okay. So think of it as uh, a cup. Okay. So a cup, you put all your shares in that cup. So this CDS account is basically that. Then you have to open a brokerage account. Now a brokerage account is basically an account where you use to perform the transactions. So let's say if, for example, I open the brokerage account with, let's say, Rakuten Trade, okay? So it's, uh, I open a brokerage account with Rakuten Trade. So this account basically is, I use this account to execute transactions. So let's say I put a buy transaction. So Rakuten Trade, being the broker, will help me execute it. Then he brings me the stock. 
then he is going to put that stock in my CDS account. So that's basically it. There are two accounts that you have to open, a CDS and a brokerage account. So that's how you buy stocks firsthand. Okay. If you're talking about the purest way to buy stocks, that's how you do it. Okay. So the bonds mark. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. to inject. So in many, so in many cases, like, so the CDS account is literally like a cup whereby you store your stocks. And the best yes. way to view the brokerage account is as though like, imagine it's like post Laju coming to collect your parcel and sending you the parcel that you want. So I guess that's a good way to view a brokerage account. Yes, correct. Okay. Okay. And for bonds market, uh, this one, honestly, I'm not too clear. So you might have to seek for other information. But basically, bonds, you can actually buy it on... Okay, there are actually two ways you can buy it. You can buy it on the primary market. means you actually buy it directly from the people who issue the bonds. Okay, let's say if um, our government is issuing some bonds, you buy it on the primary market in the sense that you buy it directly from them. Now, bonds have two markets, primary, secondary, right? Okay, primary is you buy it directly from the bond issuer. Secondary market is a place where all the bond investors actually trade their bonds. Okay, so it's like another thing already. So in secondary market, I as a bond investor, I bought my bonds from the government. So I can go to the secondary market and sell my bonds to another investor. So that's how it works. So for this one, I'm not too clear about the process. So you need to seek for further information. Okay. And for cash equivalent, um, you can actually ask for your banks uh, for things like money market uh, accounts. So money market account is a form of cash equivalent because cash equivalent is actually many, many types. So there is no one particular fund that you can call cash equivalent. There are many, many ones. So yeah, so you can either go for FD. FD is considered cash equivalent and maybe money market accounts. You can actually ask your local bank whether do they offer things like money market account. So these are the ways, the purest way to actually assess these types of investments. Okay. All right, okay. so... Okay, is there anything else you want to add on? No, nothing else I want to add on. All right. Okay, so these are the types of uh, investments. So just to go through, recap, what are they basically? Stocks, when you buy stocks, you buy an ownership of the company. Bonds, when you buy bonds, you are loaning money to the company and they have to pay you back. Principal plus interest. Cash equivalents are basically instruments that invest in short-term debt. Okay, so it's highly liquid, but it's low profile, it's low risk. Okay, so now then, last point, recommendations for passive and active investors. Now, what's the difference between passive and active? Now, when we talk about passive investing, it's basically just throwing your money at investment and that's it. So you just put your money there. It's kind of like passive. Like when you think about passive income or active income, Active income is you have to work in order to get the money. Passive income is you do the work initially, then after that, you don't have to work anymore and the money starts falling in. So for investing, it's similar. So passive investing, you do your research first. Maybe you research what kind of the funds, what kind of investments you want to buy. Once you put it in, after that, you don't bother anymore. So And you just let the investments do its thing. Active investing is basically like you have to do your research now and then. It's not a 
put it and forget it strategy. So active investing actually needs you to do research and educate yourself along the way. Okay, so that's passive inactive. Now, so for passive, so these are the kind of things that you can try. Um, okay, but before we get to passive and active investing, I want to suggest one thing. Before you get into investing, always do this. Build up an emergency buffer. Six to nine months worth of expenses. Now, this is something that you must have before you venture into any form of investing. Now, the reason why you need emergency buffer is that in investing, since there's risk involved, right? Your, uh, your investments are going to fluctuate in price. Sometimes they go up, you feel very happy. But what if it comes down? You know, what if it comes down and it's a time when you lost your job, for example, or maybe the economy went bad. So if your investments go down, you're going to need money. So that is actually the worst time that you want to cash out on your investments. You do not want to touch it because once you cash out, you make a loss, okay? When you don't cash out, you're making a paper loss. That's just loss on the screen, on paper. But when you cash it out, you, you, really you just lost money. So it's best that you have an emergency buffer so that you only use your emergency buffer to actually go on to your day-to-day -day basis in the sense that maybe you lost your job or the economy went down. Because like all investments, even though when it crashed, it will always recover. So you want it to recover and continue to go up. If you actually look at our past history, okay, uh, all the stock markets, like maybe S&P 500, that is the index for uh, the US stock market. Or you can look at Malaysia, the KLCI, Kuala Lumpur Composite Index. You can see that every time it crashes, it always recovers. So remember that point. So always build an emergency buffer so that you do not touch your investments. You want it to be a long period of time. You want your investments to stay there for more than five years, 10 years, 15 years. So you do not want to touch it. Remember that. All right. So once you get your emergency buffer, you can start investing. Now, for passive investors, you can try a thing called index funds. So what are index funds? So these are basically funds that actually um, invest in a certain index. So like, for example, our country has the KLCI index. So this KLCI actually comprises of the top 30 stocks in Malaysia. Top 30 stocks in the sense that they have the largest capitalization. So basically the top 30 biggest uh, worth. Okay, So stocks with the biggest amount of capitalization. So the top 30 stocks in Malaysia. So when you get an index fund, they basically, this fund is basically going to hold the same 30 stocks in the same percentage. That's what it does. So it's very low cost. Okay, There is no active management needed and it's cheaper, and usually indexes actually perform quite well. But here's the exception. Index funds in Malaysia are actually quite bad. Okay, I'm not saying this to badmouth anyone, but I personally would not recommend you to get an index fund in Malaysia because the indexes in Malaysia aren't as good. So just to give you an idea that index funds do exist, but I do not recommend the index funds in Malaysia. If you are courageous or more 
opportunistic, you can get an offshore account, an overseas account, and buy index funds in other countries. Okay, one good one is the Vanguard S&P 500. Okay, so those are the top 500 stocks in US. So that is an index fund that you can consider, right? So if index funds is something that you can't go for, then the next best thing is a unit trust, okay? So in other countries, they call it a mutual fund, but in Malaysia, we call it unit trust. So unit trust is basically a, a big fund whereby it pulls all of the money from many, many small individual investors like you and me. So let's say I can chip in a thousand ringgit and Ben can chip in a thousand ringgit. And then we have like millions of other people that chip in a thousand ringgit. So this big fund is going to have a lot of money, maybe millions to billions of ringgit. Then there's going to be a fund manager. So this guy is going to take the money and invest, okay? Whether it's in stocks, whether it's in bonds. But basically he takes your money and he starts investing in all of these places and bring in the returns. Then these returns and are redistributed back into the investors. So this is what unit trust is. And what I like about unit trust is that the minimum initial amount that you can start with is not high and you get very good diversification because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because if you drop that basket, all your eggs crack. So you want to put your money in the sense that you have many, many baskets. So in the case one of those baskets drop, at least you still have other baskets of eggs. So think of it that way. So diversification is very good. Okay. So uh, I would uh, recommend. I, I do ask. I do need to ask though. Um, what is the difference between unit trust and mutual funds in Malaysia then? Um, Malaysia don't have mutual funds. Mutual funds is just the term for other countries. Okay. But if you ask for what is the main difference, when you buy a mutual fund, right? Okay. Because mutual funds are companies actually. Okay, so there are companies that run mutual funds. In, let's say, the US, if you buy a mutual fund, you're actually buying an ownership of the company. But when you buy unit trust, you're just buying a unit of the investment. You're not buying the company. You're buying a unit of that fund. So mutual fund is, you, when you buy mutual funds, you're buying an ownership of that company because that company is generating returns on that investment. Okay. So it's different in this way, but, um, but it's not that important because what they do is still the same thing, whereby they take retail investors, individual investors, they take their money, invest, bring in the returns and redistribute it back to the investors. Okay. Yeah, so that's how it is. All right. So, okay, then for active investing, okay, so passive is that unit trust. For active investing, then you might need to educate yourself a lot more. So in the sense that because you're more actively involved in the investing process, you have to educate yourself. Uh, one good book that I can recommend is The Intelligent Investor. So this is the book that actually got Warren Buffett, uh, sorry, Warren Buffett into investing. So it talks about value investing, whereby you buy stocks at a cheap price. So that's one book you can start yourself with on your path to education in the investing world. And yeah, so these are the recommendations I can give for you for passive and active investing. Okay. So um, to recap, because the, the structure of this podcast uh, for, for you listeners is such that we always try to give at least three good points, three big main points. 
and one call to action at the end. So just to recap, the three big points, uh, as George pointed out, is the first part is uh, whether our investments risky or not. Uh, he, has, he has already addressed that. And the second point is the types of investments they are, uh, such as stocks, bonds, and cash equivalent. And the third one is the difference between active investing and passive investing and which one is best for you. Uh, George, do you have anything else to add on top of that? Okay, uh, so just for the types of investment, okay, uh, the reason why I only mention stocks, bonds, and cash equivalent because these are the three main categories that most of us should be comfortable touching because there are other kinds of investments like cryptocurrencies, like commodities. These are things that we don't want to touch because those are too risky, in my opinion. Stocks, bonds, and cash equivalents are risky, but it's uh, controllable in our, in our reach. So uh, just understand that there are many types of investments, but for here, I only want to talk about these three. Because personally, I invest in unit trusts that only touches on these three main categories. So that's all I want to say. Right, awesome. I think the audience would be uh, pretty interested to know which particular unit trust do you invest in? Okay, sure. Uh, unit trust. So, all right. For unit trust, um, I forgot to mention this. So for unit trust, right, there are actually two ways you can get to unit trust. One is you go through an agent or you can go through an independent online unit trust distributor. So when you go to an agent, right, uh, the good thing is that you have someone to consult. Okay, so you have an agent to actually assess your risk profile, uh, look at your financial position, uh, what is your time horizon and all that. Basically, he goes through a head-to-toe assessment of how your investment behavior is like. So that's one good thing. Uh, but one other thing that you have to know is that when you go to an agent, you have to pay a sales charge. So these are charges that are made when the moment you get into investment. And these charges can be as high to as 5 to 6%. So that's quite a lot. So personally, I do not go through agents because when you go through an online distributor, you get less than 2% sales charge. So two uh, sites that I can recommend. One is called eUnit Trust. Uh, okay, let me read out the full name. www.eunittrust.com.my So that is e U-N-I-T-T-R-U-S-T, E-Unit Trust. So this uh, uh, is actually under Philip Mutual. So currently, they've actually dropped their sales charge down to 1.5%. So you're paying 4% to 5% less compared to going through an agent. So that's one thing I want to let you know. And for the other one is Fun Supermart. Okay, Fun Supermart is F-U-N-D. S-U-P-E-R-M-A-R-T. So both of these are online distributors. Both of these have their own advantages and disadvantages. So just go through these two uh, websites and see which one you prefer. So these are two ways you can get into Unitrust investing. Okay, so uh, is there anything else you want to ask, Ben? No, no, there's, there's nothing else. I think I... Because the whole point of this podcast is to get people to take action. And I think given the specific steps that you would recommend for beginner uh, investors and given the fact that you are starting out and then you chose to go get to go for 
unit trust, I think that's a good place for people to start. I mean, on top of parking their money in unit and FD, uh, unit trust is perhaps something they can get right into right away. All right. Oh yeah, and I think I think I did miss the question when he said that what are the unit trusts that I would choose. Uh, I will put that topic for another podcast where we're gonna talk about. Uh, this will be more unit trust oriented, whereby how to pick a good one. What are the criteria that you go through, and what are the processes that you can use to pick a good one, which is one that I personally use as well. But of course, this is not professional advice. Please seek a professional. But this is what I personally use to filter out the good ones from the bad ones. Awesome. So, um, so we're, we're coming to the end of our podcast. So our call to action for today is share this, share this podcast with, with anyone that you believe wants to dip their toe into investing, but they don't know how. I mean, I, I can agree with most people when, when they say that the investment landscape is a bit confusing. And to be honest, a lot of the positioning material outside there is a bit scammy. You know, like Forex, uh, make six figures a year trading stocks, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the truth of the matter is, for the vast majority of us, we want to live our own lives and just have the investments be handled by themselves. A very small handful of, a, a very small handful of us would want to deal with trading eight hours a day, but the vast majority of us would just rather focus on what we love doing spend more time with our friends and family and just have and just do a bit of work up front for investments in the beginning and have it settled for the rest of our lives and maybe just a few hours of maintenance a month. All right. Okay. So yeah, I think that's about it. And this comes to the end of the podcast. So hope you guys have a great day. Please share this with the people you love to your friends and always remember to educate yourself about your investments. Agreed. So that's it. That's it, guys. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode where we'll talk about the bulletproof ways for you to not make stupid financial decisions. Every day we are bombarded uh, by many ads and things to make us to buy things. So the next episode, we're going to teach you bulletproof ways to make sure you don't make those kind of financial decisions. So, yeah. So that's all we have for today. Stay tuned and stay strong. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great day. Goodbye, everyone.